Hello and welcome to Close Calls on the 42.e brought to you in association with Air Sport. You know the scale at this stage. Every week on a Friday we prepare for the biggest sporting event of the weekend and we chat to the hottest pundits in the game. This weekend it is all about Arsenal versus Manchester United in the Premier League tomorrow. A fixture that maybe used to be a little bit more important than it is now but it's still reasonably exciting. My name is Gavin Casey. I'm joined in 42 Studios by Ryan Bailey also of the 42. Ryan, how's Gav? Yeah, good, good. Um, are you excited for the game tomorrow, Ryan? Yeah, we're just kind of saying on air, or before we came on air there, that you know, this fixture was the marquee one when we were growing up. Like United, United Arsenal always had so much weight significance to it. Um, for obvious reasons, I suppose, over the last kind of couple of years, that's kind of been diluted a bit. But again, it's, it's one to get excited about. Half five on Saturday is probably not the best time. Um, <laughs> but depends. yeah, it should be a good game tomorrow. Hopefully we'll get... United won't come out and park the bus. We'll see. Well, the man who is here to tell us whether United will park the bus or not is Jack Pitbrook of The Independent. Jack, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am very well. Cheers. Um, we might... Uh, we'll get to Arsenal United in a second, actually, Jack. We might as well touch upon the World Cup trial while we have you. Uh, I know... We could have probably claimed you via the granny rule, Jack. Uh, I think there might be some Irish in, in your background somewhere. But yeah. from the English perspective, um, a group containing Belgium, Tunisia, Panama, could have been a lot worse, I guess. Uh, how are you going to manage to finish third in this one? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think we're going to have to give it a really good go. Um, I, it's not really much to get excited about, is there? Because it's quite, I mean, like on the surface, it's quite an easy group, although we've certainly said that before. And even like the one big team that we're facing, Belgium, is probably the um, like the least exciting good team to play, just because they're so familiar. Mm. Like all the players play in the Premier League, and um, like that'll be a good game. But I mean, you'd like to think that England and Belgium will both beat Panama and Tunisia in their respective matches, and therefore they'll both go through. And England could even lose to Belgium, and um, and still and still make it. That said. You know, nothing, nothing is funnier to go wrong than the predictions of English pundits about the England team on the day of a draw. So I look forward to um, this being rubbed in my face in six months' time. But yeah, like on the surface, you'd have to say it's pretty, ge- it's pretty gentle for Southgate. Absolutely, I think uh, England and Belgium have played together, uh, played each other 21 times, something like that. Only two defeats for England in that sequence, although not too many fixtures recently, obviously. Um, as you mentioned, I suppose England could conceivably lose to Belgium and still go through quite easily. Uh, I know we're not going to get ahead of ourselves here, Jack, but maybe we can afford to, as, as neutrals, as Irishmen. Uh, like there's potential for a quarterfinal against Germany or, or against Brazil. Um, those are the kind of fixtures, I suppose, that make a World Cup. Are you able to get excited about that kind of thing, or is it just too soon? No, I think I'm able to get excited about the prospect of England playing a good team. Like I think England are probably... I don't know the seventh or eighth best team at the World Cup, and that means that if everything if everything goes as it should do, then there's, England should be able to make it through to the quarters, then probably lose the first good team they play against. <laughs> um, and there's no shame in that. Yeah, there's there's no shame in losing to a team better than us, which is how um, as long as like as long as they avoid. I'd say that the English target at the World Cup will be to like avoid an Iceland scenario to try and play good football, not expect to win it eventually lose to someone good and that and that'll be fine like I, like it's possible that England will play some good stuff as well the, the problem is that I think that the defense won't be able to withstand any good attack any good opposition attack like Germany Brazil Spain France forget about it do you reckon that there's I, I suppose um, certainly from watching England over here it's always interesting to see how 
the English public is either behind the team or putting the team under serious scrutiny. Recently, to us, I, I think Ryan might agree, there seems to be almost an apathy towards the team where, you know, Wembley is kind of half full for qualifiers because you know you're going through. There's not much excitement about a team that is actually brimful of really good talent, young players, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, players like that. Maybe the most exciting attacking options you guys have had in quite a while, and yet there doesn't seem to be a connection between the team and the country at the moment. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think my guess is that's like a that is to do with the public, the public feeling slightly betrayed. I don't know. If that, I don't know if that's the right word, or just like the the sense that people, the country was so so like manically behind the team in the late nineties and early two thousands, the kind of golden generation era, and just before then, and it all collapsed. And I think people are now less. I don't know. I just I do I do. I don't detect the same kind of national hysteria around the national team. Um, that said, if we were to, you know, a, a few days into the World Cup, England, Tunisia, you know, it'll be crazy. Like all the pubs will shut down. Or sorry, all the pubs, everything. The pubs will be busy. Everything else will <laughs> shut down. And um, and yeah, like I'm presuming that that's, that connection, that kind of buzz, will come back. But you're right. Like during the qualification campaign, it was really noticeable how. You know, in Wembley, the crowds would be... I mean, it, Wembley wouldn't always be sold out. And even then, like, the the atmosphere would be dead. It would all be... It would, I mean, I don't mean to sound disparaging, but it would all be families and people who weren't really that into football. Mm. Certainly for the home games. Like, you know, if you get off if you get off the tube at Wembley Park when Tottenham are playing, everyone's wearing Tottenham shirts and singing Tottenham songs. But when you get off the tube at Wembley Park when England are playing, it's like families. And then if it's like a, if it's a Thursday or Friday night game... It's people who've come out of work and thought, well, we could go to the pub or we could go and have a few pints at Wembley and watch the game. But there's no like, there's no sense of bond, really, I think, between players and fans. I mean, and then the away crowd is something different because the away crowd, as you know, is a kind of slightly more like, I don't want to say like hard-edged hooligan element because it isn't really, but it's kind of more like aggressive young men who want to have 10 pints and offer people out in a market square kind of vibe um, uh, and so with those people might kind of those fans there's a, maybe they do feel more of an identification with the team I don't know mm. but there's um, overall you're right that it, like in the nation in general that, that kind of connection between the national team and the fans isn't as strong as it used to be yeah we've gone through periods of, of that I think ourselves, uh, ourselves here Ryan with the Ireland team but look whatever happens with England next year all of us are behind them 100%, as you, uh, as you might expect. Ryan, um, speaking of apathy, I personally couldn't give a fiddler's hoot about Arsenal versus Manchester United tomorrow. It was a fixture, as you mentioned, that when we were growing up, uh, you'd be looking forward to it all week. And obviously, like generally speaking, they would have been both title contenders. Um, United might be this year, although for how long, we don't know. Jack had a really good column this morning where he spoke about how these two teams now, or these two clubs, have become kind of corporate entities and that it's a, it's the first billion pound game in terms of revenue for the last year. You're, I mean, what's your perception of, of United, say, for the, at the moment as a club? Like, Are we talking about a kind of a similar disconnect between some of the fans that would have grown up watching United because we now see kids lining up as mascots dressed as X-Men and things like that? It's all gone a bit... 
Puky. Like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like as you, you kind of touched on, Jack had a great column this morning. But I was actually over at Old Trafford, not in a working capacity last weekend for the um, for the Brighton game, and certainly it'd been the first time I'd have been over there for about two seasons. And certainly you can see the changes that kind of over the years have that have developed in terms of um, the type of supporters, a lot more families, a lot more corporate hospitality. Um, and certainly the way United are playing, I think at the moment, um, you know, they're kind of running out results under Mourinho. They've won three in a row in the, in the Premier League now. You, you kind of touched on they are kind of involved in a, in a title race, if we can call it that, with City. Um, but they're not playing the way, you know, United, and it is such a stereotypical thing to say, or, you know, they're not playing the way United, the United traditionally way. play. Exactly. Um, but tomorrow, going back to tomorrow, like, I mean, it is the marquee, it was the marquee fixture. I think it still is. Like it still carries a lot of weight. You think of United, United Arsenal fixtures down through the years. You think of Vieira, um, Keane in the in the Highbury Tunnel. You think of Will Torres scoring the winner at Old Trafford to finish the league. Um, that the same significance and weight, memorable moments, just hasn't happened in recent seasons. Um, and Arsenal certainly have held a, a dominance over United at the Emirates over the last couple of seasons. So um, interesting one tomorrow. Both come into it in completely different places, I think. While they've both won three in a row in the league, um, Arsenal are really starting to build a bit of momentum now. Um, and you'd, you'd imagine that Arsenal will, will hold the upper hand tomorrow. Big time, we'll have to see. Jack, um, take us through your column in The Independent this morning, very interesting one, but you kind of laid out, I think, your perception of the fixture and both clubs. Um, how, do you, uh, yeah, how, do you, how do you perceive tomorrow's game now in, in this modern era? Well, yeah, I mean, it clearly isn't what it was, which is, you know, it used to be the two best teams in the country, and now, I mean, Arsenal haven't, haven't really challenged the league for, what, 12, 15 years? And United have had a pretty going into their own dip, I think. Although they, you know, they might yet win the title this year if City, if City collapse. Um, I think one of the problems that I think basically the two clubs have had similar problems. I mean, the first thing is they've been overtaken by Chelsea and Manchester City, uh, and it's unfair to say that it would be unfair not to mention that because that's kind. Of, I mean, that has Chelsea, Man City have been the biggest problems that Arsenal and United have had to contend with. But I think that Arsenal and United have both gone on a similar path, which is that they, their success has led to such... And obviously, United, you know, in United's case, this is kind of three times as successful as Arsenal have been financially. But their success in the early part of the last decade has been so much that it has made them into this huge global corporate brands who are very keen to pursue fans all over the world and to kind of, basically just to stay there. That's what they want, is they just want to stay where they are at the moment, more than anything else. Um, and that means that they have, they make cautious decisions, like keeping Arsene Wenger, or appointing Louis van Gaal and then Jose Mourinho, kind of two big name managers, but maybe not the kind of youthful manager that, that would best kind of relaunch Manchester United. Or, in Manchester United's case, buying the most famous players they can find even if they don't necessarily, I mean, fit into the system. Like, I feel like they're making business decisions before they're making football decisions. Um, certainly in United's case, whereas Arsenal don't really, I don't really get the impression they're making any decisions at all. Like, they just want, <laughs> want everything to keep, they just want to keep the show on the road. And I, I, I get it, but if you look at, say, Chelsea, for example, like, you know, there are many things you can be crit critical of Chelsea and Roman Abramovich about, but... He's got quite a good idea when it comes to winning titles, which is 
to start afresh every year or two with a new a new young manager, and it'll probably work. And if it doesn't work, you get rid of him and you get someone else in, and that works. Like it's been proven to work. And I just think that with Arsenal United at the moment are so they just care more about maintaining their current position, not having a Mourinho season where you finish eighth or tenth or whatever. Um, keeping the money flowing in. And if you win, that's nice. But if you don't win, you're in the Champions League next year anyway. The money will keep flowing. That's basically my... Like, I've kind of sanded a few edges there. Like, the stories are not exactly the same, Arsenal United. But that's... I mean, I think they're, they're kind of broadly travelling in the same direction. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, I wondered when I was reading it, like, were, were you being slightly harsh in... Particularly, I suppose, in describing Mourinho's appointment as sort of just recruiting a big name for business reasons like I suppose they like they kind of tried to go down the the young manager route or already wasn't that young David Moyes but he was kind of perceived to be an up-and-comer at the time Van Gaal obviously as you mentioned was a big name and it was like uh, you know just I guess uh, somebody brought in to, to right some of the wrongs previously that didn't quite work out and Mourinho was then the the next step up from that but like in Mourinho I don't know. He's a proven winner, obviously we know that. All the cliches we can use, we can throw them out there about Mourinho again, bar that one kind of blip season at Chelsea. Do you think, though, that United were more concerned about getting a big-name manager in than the results that he's proven to achieve or proven to give a club over the years? And do you feel now that maybe Mourinho is slightly outdated in, in modern football, uh, given his approach, particularly to some of the away games like tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean. I think it is. I think that is a fair criticism of what I wrote. I do think Mourinho is a bit outdated, and I do think they should have appointed Pochettino or someone more like him. That said, I completely get that a club like United just wouldn't take that risk. Like, you know, if you've got a choice between someone who's won seven league titles and, like, what, 20-plus other major trophies and someone who's won no major trophies, obviously you're going to go for the man with the trophy cabinet. Uh, and it's almost... So maybe I'm setting a, like an unrealistically high standard of making brave decisions for United there, which is easy to do when you do, it's not your money on the line and you don't support United. Um, but, yeah, like, I, maybe that would have been... Maybe that would have been too brave for them to do. But equally, I do think... I am kind of un, unsold, basically, on, the, on Mourinho's United so far. Like, I haven't been convinced or impressed by anything they've done. Uh, and I don't really think they're going to do anything this year either. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I, mean, I wouldn't even necessarily disagree that Pochettino would have been a better, better option. Um, Arsenal, Jack, <laughs> like Wenger, I guess, is uh, the antithesis of Mourinho at this stage in that he's no longer winning trophies and yet has remained at the same club for so long. I, I, I'm fascinated by this situation with Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, given that He's come out, uh, or he came out earlier this week and said they will remain at the club beyond January unless something unbelievable happens. And yet, you're pretty much resigning yourself to losing them for free next summer. I'm not even sure necessarily if losing them for free is the same type of blow to Arsenal as a club as it might have been in the past. But just the general, I mean, there, that has to be an issue, surely, within the squad. Maybe not given recent results, but that your two talisman are going to just leave and and it seems to be an unbelievable situation for Arsenal to find themselves in where there's kind of it doesn't seem as though there's any way of rectifying that's that they're just going to lose two of the best players in the league yeah it's really bad like there's no way they can they can describe it otherwise I guess the flip side is that they at least have them this year and they are playing really well like Wenger said in August that 
he thought that play, like the motivation of playing for a lucrative Bosnian move would incentivize the players to play well, and we all laughed. But Ozil's actually playing really, really well at the moment. Mm. He was brilliant against Tottenham last like two weeks ago, and then I was there on Wednesday when he kind of took Huddersfield apart single-handedly, and they won five nil. Um, so they are. So Ozil's playing great. I kind of, I kind of think Sanchez might be playing within himself a bit. He's not really. Since he came back from that slight injury he's had, he's not really put it in. Or maybe maybe it was since Chile got knocked out of the World Cup qualifying. Mm. He just looked like a bit... He's not really... I mean, because the great thing about Sanchez is he always gives 100%, and yet at the moment, he doesn't really look like... He doesn't really look like himself. Um, but yeah, like the, pro- the problem they're going to have in the summer, and there is a possibility they could sell them in January, and as much as Wenger might say, oh, we won't sell them in January, remember, he spent the whole summer saying that they wouldn't sell Sanchez. And then the last day of the window, he tried to sell Sanchez to City for 60 million. Um, so you can't really believe him when he says that he won't sell them. But if they, uh, on the presumption that they stay, they're going to have to spend a huge amount of money in the summer to replace them. Like they bought them for a combined 70 million, but that was four or five years ago. In today's money, though, like the combined value of players, to, players who are good enough to replace Sanchez and Ozil. I mean, you're looking at two eighty million pound players, yeah. aren't you? So it's like a hundred million pounds worth of player they've got to buy this summer, and yeah, like I, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know who they would look at. They certainly have to be, they would certainly have to be in the Champions League, I think, to have any prospect of getting someone good. I think if they got a good, new, well-respected manager, they would have an even better, an even better chance. But then, you know, this week Arsenal announced the arrivals of. Um, Sven Mislintat, the new chief scout from Borussia Dortmund, mm. and Ralph Lehi, who's the uh, head of football operations, I think, who's but he basically director of football at Barcelona for years and years. And those, these, that is the big job for these two guys. You've got to go and find two world-class players who Arsenal can afford and who want to come to Arsenal. Because if they don't replace them, then they're going to be terrible next year. Yeah, that's pretty much guaranteed. But before we get today, your predictions for tomorrow, Jack, and how the game is going to go, a reminder to the people at home that we have got a book at the moment. Behind the lines, it's available in all good bookstores and also available online. Uh, we'll be giving away a free copy to one of you guys watching at home. Just uh, send us in your comments, be it a prediction or whatever. Um, Ace Deuce has been in touch. He says that the game definitely hasn't lost its edge. Biggest game of the season for me, although it's definitely lost its steel over the years. I, I'm not going to lie, I don't know what that means, no. Ryan. No. But uh, thank you very much to HGs <laughs> for getting involved. Uh, we are also hosting a quiz next Wednesday at half six in Copperface Jacks. Never too early. Uh, so what we're doing is the, the commenters, Ryan, the 42 commenters, yeah. against ourselves. Yeah. Uh, there's no fix. We probably won't win, but we're going to take you on anyway. We'll be giving away a free drink, food, and you'll also get a copy value. of the book Ten as well. Euro. Ten euro win. Ten bob. Um, copy of the book. Food, yeah. drink. Um, and entry into copper, so Absolutely. what more could you want? You're a, sale, you're a natural-born salesman, Ryan. Um, Jack, tomorrow's game, uh, I don't know, Like we, the way United played against Watford uh, during the week, Tuesday night, it seemed actually kind of atypical of Mourinho in, in a lot of ways, in that, all right, Watford aren't a, a necessarily a, a sort of a top-six club, and it may, be not, it may not seem as a... A daunting away trip for a club of United stature, and yet under um, under their new manager Marco Silva, they've been motoring along fairly nicely. United played fairly attacking 
Uh, and certainly when Watford had the ball, it was interesting to see United go kind of man for man and, <coughs> and push up the park as opposed to sit back. Uh, Danny Murphy touched on that on, on match of the day. Do United revert to type under Mourinho tomorrow, do you think? Or since the return of Paul Pogba, can you see them maybe taking a few more chances in big away games? I, th- I think they'll play on the break. I just think that Arsenal are Arsenal aren't great, but I think they're good enough that you you wouldn't want to give them any more space than you have to. You know what I mean? Like you, it's not worth taking the risk to give them that room. So I think United will revert to type. I think they'll sit deep and they'll try and hit them on the break, and it could work because Arsenal Arsenal have been quite vulnerable on the break in the past. Wenger said to us the other day that he thinks that going to three in the back means that they're le- they are less vulnerable on the break than they used to be. So maybe. Um, Maybe Arsenal. That, I think that is how Arsenal expect United to play. Um, I think United will. I don't know. I've got a sneaky feeling about Arsenal for some reason. I just think if if the big players turn up, I think losing Lacazette is a big blow because his movement is good and Giroud is like a really good target man, but doesn't give them the same cutting edge. Mm. But I I don't know. I just think Arsenal are going to nick it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's probably probably. Uh the consensus here on this yeah, for him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just kind of elaborating on what Jack said there, I don't think Marina really cares which way he plays. Like, it's worked from the past. You know, you mentioned that, you know, a stereotypical way of playing. But I think with the City game at Old Trafford coming up as well, it's a it's an interesting litmus test for United because, you know, they can wait tomorrow and play on the break, as Jack says, and, and nick a 1-0 win or whatever. But that game at Old Trafford in a couple of weeks' time is, is a real fascinating one because United need to win that, you know, hands down regardless of what happens tomorrow they need to win that um, I, I think I think they probably they need to win both well they can't go out against City number one at home and try to catch him on the break you know um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does tomorrow Jack says he's probably going to try to catch him on the break sit back um, you know the Emirates is a slightly different place to go maybe to somewhere like the Etihad or Stamford Bridge because you can kind of catch Arsenal they're slightly more vulnerable um, and you'll probably see that happen. Um, but again, as Jack said, I think Arsenal will, will make it there. They've been good at home. Yeah, well, we'll see. It's going to be interesting because, I mean, even if you were to look back at some of the fixtures we mentioned earlier, um, or some of the, the games between United and Arsenal in the past, be it at Highbury or the Emirates, United have traditionally played on the break there anyway, for the yeah. most part. I mean, yeah. the, one of the most, certainly one of my favourite goals from that fixture was... Um, Cristiano Ronaldo's second goal in the Champions League. Champions League, yeah. And like that was one of the great counter-attacking goals yeah. we've seen in the last few years. So yeah. we'll have to see. Jack, thanks a million for your time. We'll speak to you soon. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me on. Have a good weekend. No problem. Cheers. And thanks to you guys for watching at home as well. Our thanks, as always, go to Air Sport. Uh, we might finish on a comment here. Graham says, not the same since Keown jumped all over Van Histeroy. <laughs> Man United versus Spurs, a bigger game now. Uh, that's fair enough from Graham. Keep your comments coming in. We'll be picking a winner later on this evening. So even if you're watching this on delay or whatever, if you want to throw in a prediction or something like that, we are giving away a copy of... ...in Copperface Jacks. Ten euro in. Uh, yeah, ten euro in. Free drink. Grub. Book. Quiz. Book. You get a book as well. And you can stay in Coppers for the night. Yeah. Oh, that's true. No yeah. queuing. No queuing. We'll see you there at some stage. Uh, hopefully not in too bad a condition. Cheers, and uh, until next week, take it easy.